The idea that we set up in the very first week of this comes all the way back from Genesis, okay? The very first man and woman ever created by God. They have this mission, this purpose, this plan that they're meant to accomplish while they're here on the planet. They are doing it, but then they had this one particular thing they weren't supposed to do. And that was, of course, the thing that they decided to do. And they introduced sin into the world. And when they did, and they chose to disobey God, they immediately hid. Like they did something wrong and then just hid. And God is walking through the garden and asking, hey, where, where did you guys go? And you're like, hey, we're over here. Hi. And they're like, he's like, why are you hiding? Like usually we hang out, we talk. What's going on? And they fess up and say what they did. And ever since then, We as human beings, we do something wrong, we sin, and we tend to hide. We hide from God. We try to run away from God. We try to get as far away from God as we can in certain moments. And sometimes we even try to stay away from God because we don't want to feel guilty about it, or we don't want to be reminded about it, or we just want to forget it even happened and act like it never never happened. You never messed up. You never sinned. You never did that thing that was wrong. But reality is... You did, but what's great and what's amazing, what's awesome, is the same thing God did with Adam and Eve. He went after them. It's the same thing he still does for us. He continues to pursue us no matter what it is we've done. And tonight's story is no different. So to get us into the story, I want to tell a little quick story about my kids. So I've got three little boys, okay? I've got a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. So if you're ever bored one day, just come by my house. You will not be bored anymore. They have energy for days. Um, they're really into superheroes right now. So if you're into superheroes, then, then you'll have a blast with them. They play the Lego, um, the Lego uh, Marvel superheroes game like crazy. Uh, they asked me quite literally at bedtime, like one of the things that uh, Cooper, our oldest son, asks is, tell me about a superhero. Like just random, tell, tell me about one random superhero I don't know about. And since I grew up reading comic books and watching cartoons and and I've, I've just known about superheroes. I'm, I tell him about a random superhero, and he's like, okay, thank you. And then he get, rolls over and goes to sleep. So I don't know if he dreams about these superheroes or what. But all three of them are really different, but they're all really similar in one particular way. And here's what I mean. So Jetson is our middle son. We call him Jet. He was, he was literally born in our house because he couldn't wait to get to the hospital. Um, so he is super sweet, super nice, unless he hadn't had enough sleep or, or he's hungry. Anybody in here get hangry? Yeah? Okay. So he's, he's, he's you guys. He's like you in that. Um, and so if I ask him to go pick up his shoes and put them in the closet where they're supposed to go and he hasn't had enough sleep or hasn't had enough food... I'm going to get a real negative response to that request, okay? Like straight up, no. And then, okay, so saying no to me and mommy is a no-no in our house, right? So I'm like, excuse me? No. Did you just say no to daddy? Yes. (laughs) Like, are you allowed to do that, Jet? They're like, so put your shoes in the closet, please. No. 
son, you aren't allowed to say no to us. You need to put your shoes in the closet. They're sitting here in the middle of the hallway. We're going to trip over them. That's not where they go. Put them in the hallway or put them in the closet. And he'll just kick them across the room. And we're like, go get your shoes and put them in the closet. And then if he's in a real good mood, and when I say good mood, I mean not good mood. He goes and picks up the shoe that he just kicked. And looks at you the whole time, right? He's like, hmm. And just heaves it, either at the wall or at his brother. Who's just like, ah! And now he's crying. Ah, Jetson hit me in the face with a shoe. And Jetson's just like, like hardcore face. Because he's not going to do what I asked him to do. He's not going to go where I asked him to go. He's not going to do the thing he's supposed to do. He's like, like, Jet, you, you're not listening. You told us no. You just hit your brother in the face with your stinky shoe. What is wrong with you? And then, usually, at some point in this, he either gets really angry, like even angrier, or he literally clenches his fist and clenches his teeth. And, just, and if anyone's close to him, you're about to get hurt because he's about to just, or he's about to like kick, or he's about to headbutt. He's going to do something because he's so mad. Now, if no one's around, then he'll just do it to the wall. Like, because he's so frustrated because he's being asked to do something he doesn't want to do. And he's not in a good place because he hasn't had enough sleep or enough food to really process this this request well. And so he's just going nuts. And then after he does that, like has this fit of rage where he just like decks his little one-year-old brother. After he's knocked him out cold and, and we're, you know, done making sure he doesn't have a concussion and we pick him up, he usually just collapses and cries. Because he's so tired and he's so like done. He's just like, and he knows he's like done like five things wrong all in a row. And he knows he was not doing what me and his mom had asked him to do. And so he's just like, he just collapses and just starts crying. And so we pick him up and we, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. We love him. You're grounded for a month. (laughs) No, we don't ground quite yet. But he does have to go to a long time out. He still has to, there's still some some negative uh, effects to the things he chose to do. But have you ever been in those kind of places though? Like where you're asked to do something? Whether it's by mom and dad or it's by a teacher or somebody who they ask you to do something and you just like everything in you wants to do the opposite of the thing that you were just asked to do. Your mom or dad might have said, hey, I, I, you know, your room is literally there's 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 scientific experiments growing in your room right now. It's disgusting. When I open the door, we have to Febreze the whole house. You've got to clean up your room. And you're like, gosh. Get off my case. It's my room. Did you hear what you said? You said, my room, okay? It's gross if I want it to be. It's my room. And you don't want to do it. Or you got a teacher who's like, listen, you have got to do this amount of homework or this project by this date. And you're just like, I don't want to do it. And you get right up to the deadline and you still don't want to do it. And then you have to stay up late trying to finish it. Or you have to get mom and dad to help you with it. Or you have to get an older brother and sister to help you with it. Or you just don't do it. And then what happens? Then you get an F. It's just bad. So 
We all have these moments, though, right, where we're supposed to go somewhere or do something. We, we've been asked to, to do something that we don't want to do, and we straight up rebel against it. Do we have any rebels in the house? Yeah. So if your hand wasn't up, that's okay, because you're a rebel too, actually, because you didn't raise your hand when I asked you to raise your hand, and you're just fighting it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But ultimately the Bible says that all of us have sinned, so we've all rebelled against God. So every one of us is a a rebel, whether we we feel like it or not. Some of us maybe rebel a lot more than others, um, and some of us fight the things that are asked of us more than others, but at the end of the day, we're all in this boat. And so there's this story that we're going to look at tonight about this guy named Jonah. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard this story before. This guy named Jonah has a very famous thing happen to him. He's even got his own book in the Bible. Guess what it's called? Jonah. Jonah. Yes. Yes, it's Jonah. And it's not very long. It's only three chapters long. But we're going to look at all three chapters tonight because this guy's story is fascinating. And it really applies to our life today. Like, there's a lot of similarities to what he goes through and what we go through. And there's also a lot of similarities behind what my son Jet does and what we do and what Jonah does. They're all connected, and they all have some things that are similar about them. So we're going to kick this thing off in Jonah chapter 1, the very beginning of this, the first three verses. And so here's how the story begins. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Everybody say Amittai on three. One, two, three. Amittai. Nice. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is what God is saying to Jonah. Verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish on three. One, two, three. Tarshish, nice. Next time you want to say sheesh. Does anyone even say sheesh? Man, that's a lot of work. Sheesh. (laughs) Who says that? No one says that. But if you want to start saying that, but instead of saying that, say Tarshish. (laughs) That would be super funny to only me. So let's keep going. He headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So, God has given Jonah a mission. He tells him what to do, and Jonah doesn't want to do it. Why doesn't Jonah want to go to this city and do what God has asked him to do? Well, there could be a lot of reasons for this. And I did a little bit of research on this this city, Nineveh. And it's a large city, a lot going on in this city. A lot of people in this city. These people were known for being a certain type of people, though. They're very rebellious towards God and the things God had asked of them. So they're very selfish people. There's a lot of pride in this city. There's a lot of just doing whatever you want to do in this city. And so it's kind of a dangerous place to go. And so Jonah might have been afraid to go there because it was dangerous for him because of the people there. Jonah might not have wanted to go to Nineveh because he also knows that God is going to judge Cities like that. And when God judges cities in the Old Testament, it's not good. It's also dangerous. 
And so he's like, I don't want any part of that city. I don't want to have anything to do with that city. It's dangerous there for me in a lot of ways. And so the dude takes off running. Now, it says he books a ship, a ferry, to go to, where is it? There you go. Tarshish. Now, what's interesting to know is where he currently is. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Where he currently is compared to where Tarshish is and where Nineveh is, like where these places are. Tarshish is like the furthest place he could have gone to get away from where he was supposed to go. Like literally going the opposite direction, the furthest of the known world at the time. I mean, he's trying to get way far away from this. It's not just a no and I'm not going to go. It's a no and I'm going to go the opposite direction. Like straight up no. It's kind of like when I tell my son, hey, put your shoes in the closet. And not only does he say no, but he kicks them and throws them across the room to go in the exact opposite direction of where I told him to put them. Like it's that kind of scenario. And that's what Jonah's doing. And so... What do you think he's most concerned about in this scenario? Himself. Jonah is worried about himself above anything else in this moment. Because God has asked him to go do something. He has said no. The reasons for him not doing what God has asked are all focused on him. He's worried about something's going to happen to him that's going to be negative, going to be bad. Anybody else been in that place? You've been asked to do something and all you can think about is you? How does that affect you? How does that affect me? How is that going to negatively mess up my plans or what I want to do? Yeah, that's what most of us do that. And that's what Jonah's doing. He's thinking about him. He's looking at him. So he chooses to do something different. Now let's keep reading the story. Verse 4, it says, Then the Lord... God had sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out in his own, to his own God. And they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and then we won't perish." Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? So Jonah has rebelled against what God asked. He's doing the opposite of what God said to do and where he said to go. He's on this boat. The boat is literally in the midst of like a hurricane kind of storm, like a storm that's literally scaring everyone on the boat to the point of them thinking they're about to die. And these are sailors, right? These are guys that are on the boats all the time. They're in storms all the time. But this storm is freaking them out. They're like, the boat's literally going to break apart right now. Have any of you who've been in an airplane before who've flown, you know when you get light turbulence and then you know when you get like not light turbulence, the heavy turbulence where you think the wings are about to break off of your plane and it freaks you out or you drop like 
10 feet and you're just like, oh my word, what are we doing right now? I'm coming home, Jesus. I'm coming home. Like you think you're about to die. You're, you're petrified. Like that's the place these guys are in. They're like, this boat is literally about to sink. We're about to be hanging out with Davy Jones. Thank you for the laugh. So they are scared to death and it's all because of this guy. I mean, these guys are questioning him like crazy. Jonah, Jonah, who are you? Where are you from? What, what, what do you do? Like, what's your job? What, who's, who's the God you serve? And then once he says that, what does it say they, they, they felt after he said, oh, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God of heaven. It says they're terrified. They're terrified at this point. Why do you think they're terrified? Do you think anybody in the world has heard stories of the things God had done up to this point in the world? Think anybody had ever heard of, um, I don't know, the Red Sea parting? This guy named Moses? This, uh, this pillar of fire that led the nation of Israel through the desert for 40 years? You think they'd heard of this God of the Hebrews? Yeah, they've heard of him. They've heard of him. He's a big deal. And when they realize that's who he is, like he's, he knows this God, they are scared to death. Because they know this God has something to do with what's going on here. And it has something to do with this guy named Jonah. And so there's consequences for what Jonah decided to do, right? He decided to not listen to God and go the opposite direction of where he asked him to go. What was the consequence? You're in a storm that might sink not only you in this boat, but everybody else in the boat. So not only do you feel the consequences of you rebelling against God, but all these other people do too. Have you ever done something like that? Like you messed up, you made a really bad decision, and now not only do you have to face the negative consequences, but other people that you love and care about have to face them too? That's how rebellion works a lot of times. It doesn't just affect you, it affects other people too. And Jonah is affecting all of these guys in this boat right now. And so these serious consequences that are happening all around him are very similar to what happened to us. when We choose to do what we want to do and not what God wants us to do. So let's keep reading the story. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do? To make the sea calm down for us. Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So the men that he was with were trying to help Jonah. They were trying to, like, not throw him overboard, even though he said, guys, it's my fault. You need to just throw me overboard. They're like, no, 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 we don't want to do that. We know your God is against, you know, us killing you. And he's already mad. So why don't we, let's just row harder. They try to row harder to get out of the storm and it gets rougher and worse. And they realize, listen, there's no escaping. There's no escaping the storm. There's no getting out of this. 
They realize the only thing they can do is throw him overboard, and they finally surrender Jonah to the sea. They finally give him up, ultimately, to God. And so, eventually, they and Jonah all get to this place of surrender. And when they get to this place of surrender, what do they find? Peace. Everything calms down. Everything chills out. I love that picture because it's the same thing that happens to us now. Like when we are raging and fighting against the thing God's called us to and the place he's trying to lead us to, and we're just, no, I'm not going to do it, and we're fighting and we're fighting it and fighting it, and we fight it even harder. The harder we fight, the harder it gets. And then whenever we finally get to a place of surrender, God brings this amazing calm and peace to our soul. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you've rebelled before, like you've done what you weren't supposed to do and you did it on purpose, but then eventually you got to a place where you did the right thing. You're like, no, I, no, I really need to do this. I really need to do the thing that my parents asked me to do or that I know I need to do to make something right. And you finally give in and you finally do it. And then you, you have this feeling of just knowing you did the right thing and it gives you this peace. Well, this is what happens with these guys. This is what happens when they surrendered. This peace literally physically happens. But also for them emotionally, they had to have had some peace to know, oh, okay, we're not going to die now. The boat's going to hold together. We're not going to sink and drown. And so Jonah thought his life was over at this point because, I mean, he had said, hey, just throw me overboard. Throw me into the ocean. So to be thrown out in the middle of a raging storm in the middle of a sea, you're probably thinking, ah, this is, I guess this is it. You know, I rebelled against God. I did something wrong. I did something stupid. And, and now I'm just going gonna, gonna to face it. And so he's sitting out in the middle of the ocean because of his rebellion and because of his disobedience. But check out what happens. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, when you first read this story, maybe you first hear it as a kid, you might think, oh, my word. Number one, it, we don't know if it's a whale, because I know the story is like Jonah and the whale. We don't know if it's a whale. It's just a huge fish. Could that be a whale? Sure. Could it be a shark? Sure. No, it could be. We don't know what it is. It just says huge fish. It doesn't say blue whale. It doesn't say any kind of whale. It just says huge fish. It could literally be a huge goldfish. I don't know what it was. It was just a huge fish, Okay. So it could have been a clownfish, sure. Um, so huge fish swallows Jonah. Now, when I first heard that as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, my word, Jonah got eaten. Like, I thought it was a bad thing. I'm like, oh, no, poor Jonah. He's going he's, he's, he's gonna, to, he's a goner. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he's going to get digested, and he'll be in the sea later, but not as a person. It'll be fish poop. But it turns out, I mean, what was actually happening in this story is God literally sent a rescue boat in the form of a fish to save this guy who had rebelled against him, like straight up through a hissy fit at God. God saved him. He put him in this fish 
to rescue him and keep him from dying. Now, it's not quite the rescue plan that I think most of us would think. Like if we're out in the middle of the ocean, we're like, God, save me. I think we're thinking maybe God's going to send a helicopter or he's going to send a, a, like a nice boat out to get us. Or maybe some mer people will come and rescue us. Like, I don't know. Some crazy thing might happen. But this is not a glamorous thing that happens for Jonah. He's swallowed by a fish. Have you been around a fish before? They stink and they're slimy. And if you're in a fish, like completely, it's super dark. Like you're in a stinky, slimy, dark place for three days and three nights. I don't even know how that works with air and breathing and stuff, but God works things like that out because he's God. Like maybe the fish came up and got a big gulp of air every few hours just so that he could breathe. I mean, I don't know. But somehow he lives in this fish for three days and three nights. He probably got hungry. He's probably eating out of the fish's belly. Yeah, I know it's gross. The whole thing is kind of gross. Do you think maybe that's a little bit of the negative consequence of him rebelling? That it wasn't this glamorous rescue? That he's got to be in a fish for three days? Well, I, I think maybe that's part of it, but I think there's a little bit more to it too because it says... After he's in this fish for three days and three nights, he comes to this place where he kind of comes to the end of himself, which is kind of the place all of us have to come to when we're rebelling against God. We've got to come to the end of ourselves and realize, you know what? I'm not the point here. This isn't about me. Like, my life's not about me. Like, the point of things is not me. And Jonah comes to that place in the belly of this fish because It says in Jonah chapter 2, it gives this long prayer that Jonah prays. Because if you're like, hey, what was Jonah doing in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? Well, he did what most of us would have done. He prayed, dear Lord, please get me out of this fish. Dear Lord, what is that smell? Dear Lord, I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) This is gross. I mean, he's praying all kinds of prayers, I'm sure. But then the prayer that they record in Jonah chapter 2 is this prayer between him and God where he's just telling God, God, I acknowledge who you are. I get that salvation comes from you. I get that you love me. I get that you provided this fish for me. Like, I get that you provide everything good for all of us. And he has this long prayer of just coming to the end of himself and realizing who God is. And so it's in this moment that Jonah surrenders himself and he actually finds himself where he's supposed to be. Because right in this moment is when it's described that Jonah is vomited back up onto a beach. So the fish swims up onto a beach and spits Jonah out onto a beach right after he comes to this place of realizing his life isn't about him, it's about God. Right in that moment is when he literally sees the light. He breathes the fresh air. He feels the the sand under his feet again. And not only that, but he hears God's voice again. How did we start this story? God spoke to Jonah. Jonah ran away from God's voice. He ran away from what God said. And then as soon as he surrenders again to him, what does he hear? He hears God's voice again. Have you ever rebelled against God before? You know you did something God didn't want you to do. 
and you were scared to death, you would never be able to hear God again. You'd never be able to be close to God again. You'd never be able to have a good relationship with God again. What, what God's teaching us through Jonah's story here is that God never, ever stopped believing in Jonah. He never gave up on Jonah. He never didn't want to be close with Jonah. He never didn't want to use Jonah. None of that ever changed. Even though Jonah rebelled against him, pitched a fit, ran away, tried to go to the other end of the world, all of those things, he still believed in Jonah. He kept pursuing him. He kept loving him. He kept believing in him. And he still talked to him. And so you look at Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So after being in this ship that almost fell apart, this huge storm where he thought he and all these other guys are about to die, being in the ocean thinking he's about to drown, being in a fish for three days and three nights, after all of this stuff, he's told to do the same thing he was told to do at the very beginning, and he goes and he does it. And what's cool is if you go back and look at Jonah chapter 3, it talks about what God does in that how he uses Jonah, how the city of Nineveh literally repents and God spares the whole city because of Jonah and what God used Jonah to do and what Jonah said to the people in the city of Nineveh. So God used Jonah in this huge way to save a whole bunch of people and for them to experience his love. And so in surrender, not only did Jonah find peace, And did he find where he was supposed to go? He also found God again. He hears God again. He's used by God again. And Jonah ultimately winds up where God asked him to go in the first place. He just took the long way to get there. So here's my question to you. What if Jonah had just listened in the first place? What if he would have just done what God asked in the first place. And here's the even better question. What if we just listened in the first place? There's a bunch of us in the room, and I'm talking students and leaders, all of us. We're all in the same place of God asks us to do things. Sometimes he tells us those things through the Holy Spirit, and we just know them. We know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to apologize to that person. We're supposed to help that person. We're supposed to be nice to that person. We're supposed to give to that person. We know these things, And we rebel against them when we don't do them. Sometimes we read what the Bible says, like love your enemy. You know you're supposed to do that. God said it. You know you're supposed to help people see Jesus and how you act, how you talk. We know these things. These are things God has said to us. And so many of us rebel against those things. We don't do them. We run away from them. We run in the opposite direction of what those things are. And when we do that, We have consequences just like Jonah did. We don't really get to experience life. We have all this stress in our life. We feel guilty. We hurt people. We hurt ourselves. What if we learned from this story that Jonah experienced, this this thing that he did, the thing that a lot of us do, that we've done in the past. Maybe you've rebelled a lot in the past. You know what that's about. You know what that's like. What if we quit rebelling against what God's calling us to 
And we just obeyed out of the gate. Like as soon as it said, we just do it. Because when Jonah obeys and he just submits and he surrenders, he gets to experience peace and he gets to experience going where he's meant to go and being who he's meant to be. All this stuff happens when he just surrenders. And he does it. He quits running. And the same thing's true for us. If you as a 6th, 7th, or 8th grader, when you know God's asking you to do something, if you would take the lesson learned by Jonah and just surrender to it, you're going to get to experience things the way God intended you to experience them. You're going to get to see him and hear him and, and watch him move in ways that you never would have if you would have rebelled. Or maybe ways that you would have, but not for years later, because you kept running from him. I've heard so many stories of students who come back after they were in middle school, right? I've been doing this a while. So um, I've had students come back, they're in high school or in college, and they'll come back to me and they'll be like, man, thank you so much for some of the things that you and the other leaders in, in middle school used to say to us. I just wish I would have listened to some of them a little bit more, and I would have done them, because now I'm experiencing it. Like, now I'm getting it. Now it's clicking. That doesn't mean it can't click now. That doesn't mean you can't get it now, because you can. Don't wait until you're in high school or college to start to actually obey God and surrender to him. You can do it right now. And so stop running and start surrendering. Because in that, you're going to get where you ultimately want to go. And where God's calling you to go, which is a place that's full of life, it's full of love, it's full of grace, it's full of peace. It's in his presence and it's in a relationship with him.